It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Coin Bureau Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Once we launched the site, which would have been in December of 2017, within about a month, we organically had about 150,000 unique users coming to the website. Wow. So, so and that was really the prime time, as we know, too. December you know, yeah. 2017 and January 2018 were where we really had those blow-off-the-top moments, and the retail mania was at its craziest. So <laughs> the timing was perfect. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, bear market kicked in. Yep, timing was not perfect. <laughs> 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 Welcome, everyone, to the Coin Bureau podcast. My name is Guy. This gentleman's name is... Mad Mike Mooch. And we are very, very fortunate to be joined today by one of the first ever guests on the Coin Bureau podcast, none other than Nate Whitehill, the founder and CEO of CryptoSlate. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's an honor to be here. 
Likewise, it's an honour to have you. And um, yeah, for anyone uh, for anyone um, who hasn't heard of Crypto Slate before, Crypto Slate is a crypto news and information opinion data platform. It's an amazing resource. It's one of the first places I go every morning. Uh, you know, when I switch on my computer, you know, Crypto Slate is right up there. You know, to go and get go and see what's happening in the space, get an idea, and you know, I switch it on and just hope that it's good news. <laughs> Cheers! Thank you so much. It's, that. <laughs> it's uh there's not a lot of good news around at the moment but um so Nate yeah t- so tell me uh, you obviously as i say you're the founder of crypto slate can you tell us uh, just a little bit about your background and how you came came to t- came to found it Sure. So I've been, uh, I would say, pretty deeply involved in the crypto space since 2015. Um, I previously had a tech background, so I'd started and uh, launched a handful of technology businesses over over the past decade and a half or so. Uh, some of them raised capital. Others were just kind of, you know, a combination of product and service businesses and did mm-hmm. some consultation. But in 2015, I was living in Seattle and one of my best friends, uh, who's a hedge fund manager in the traditional finance space, told me to download Coinbase and had no idea what it was, just thought, oh, you know, this is a place where you buy cryptocurrency. Hadn't really done too much research or deep diving into crypto. But uh, as soon as I bought my first Bitcoin, I felt kind of invested in the, in the ecosystem. Yeah. The price was around $270 at the time. You mother... F- so <laughs> it, it had come down from about a, a peak of $1,000. Yeah. yeah. So it had, this is right, you know, kind of summertime. Um, soon afterwards, one of the... Bitcoin core developers named Mike Hearn wrote a pretty scathing post about Bitcoin, calling it a fair to, failed experiment. So there was a lot of FUD at the time. Yeah, Everyone was still questioning, like, is this industry going to exist? Is it going to be around? I, I had a lot of faith in it because of Coinbase. Coinbase was a very easy to use app. It was a great experience. It was really kind of the, uh, the go-to place, I feel like, for a lot of people yeah. that were first kind of getting into crypto. Yeah, especially I think after after Mount Gox as well. You know, people were so is it people coming to because I remember that I, I I sort of discovered Bitcoin sort of at at, at about the time that Mount Gox was imploding, mm-hmm. and it was something that you know it really made me kind of back away for a bit because I was just like you know this is so this is so insanely risky. Yeah. Not realizing at the time, obviously, that you know it wasn't that it wasn't the fact that Bitcoin itself was risky. It was this service that we were mm. using to interact with Bitcoin to get our yeah. On Bitcoin, that was that was risky, and you know that was a that was a really important lesson. But it's interesting that you say that you you were kind of so you were kind of led to it by someone because, as you say, you're you're a tech background, mm-hmm. but you were led to it by someone, a friend of yours who was actually working in finance. Yes, say. exactly. And I had first heard of Bitcoin probably in 2012 or so. I was running another company uh, called Highlighter.com, which was in the education mm-hmm. technology world. But at the time, you know, 2012 just saw it, heard, you know, read headlines on it, but didn't really take it seriously. But when 2015 came around, um, I knew it was obviously previously came from a a high of around $1,000. I believe this would have been kind of uh, November, December 2014 or so Mm -hmm. was when it hit its uh, previous high. So I thought, oh, there's there's some potential to, you know, hope it get back to its all-time highs. Um, about six months or so afterwards, after I first bought Bitcoin, Coinbase added Ethereum too. And this is where my mind really started to go yeah. deeper down the rabbit hole about, right. 
you know, Bitcoin did one thing really well, it seemed like, like kind of be digital gold or potentially a hedge against inflation, although I'm not sure we can call it that in its current state right now. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> yeah, but but Ethereum, you know, really kind of intrigued me. And at that point, uh, I was learning about the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance, which was developing all these partnerships with some of the biggest companies in the world, like Microsoft, for example. And that's when I really started to go, okay, this is something that is much more than just digital money. It's digital application in a decentralized way. And that's kind of at the point where I started spending tons of time on Coin, uh, CoinDesk, Cointelegraph, CoinMarketCap, and kind of seeing the world from two, two perspectives, like the qualitative side, like the news and analysis, and the quantitative side, like being able to look at the prices and the forecasts and the volumes, all, all the you know, actual quantitative data. So it was at that moment with my tech background that I realized this might be a good idea for me to build something myself that combined the qualitative and the quantitative. Right. And so obviously yeah with a with a tech background you you presumably it 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 wasn't mu- it wasn't much of a stretch for you to kind of you know for you to have that light bulb moment for it to kind of all click and and make sense. Yeah, exactly. We were at the time the first website that was trying to do a combination of the news and analysis but also have a full directory of all the crypto assets. Um so we integrated with quite a few APIs. We started building out the site all in WordPress. I, I've been using WordPress since 2006. Wow. So we've built a lot of different sites on WordPress. We've kind of seen it grow so much as a content management system. So the original idea was to have all of the digital assets inside uh, WordPress as as objects in the same way that news posts are objects. So by being able to link to the objects to each other, we, we had the goal of being able to provide more context for if you read an article about a particular cryptocurrency and you see real-time chart, real-time price, real-time description of what this crypto asset is. So trying to combine the qualitative and the quantitative, I keep coming back to that, but I think it's something for a lot of people when they get into the space, they're so overwhelmed yeah. by by you know one aspect of that, but trying to simplify it was our goal initially. Yeah. So that was the that was the inspiration behind it, and then so you launched in 2017. Uh-huh. Is yep. that right? Because uh, Mike and I have been discussing sort of you know the history of crypto in, in previous episodes, and I think you know 2017 we we talked about in the context of Ethereum. Yeah. And obviously it just such a crazy time with, I mean with ICOs sort of happening every week and these insane numbers flying around and. So, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it's obviously it was obviously a sort of prime time for, for to launch this service, you know, to to launch this platform, and there were so many people obviously clamoring to get that information. Yep. So, so you launched in 2017, and you were you were obviously building the site yourself. Mm-hmm. And were you were you writing for it as well, or were you having to were you getting other people on board at that point? So the it? one thing I never did was actually write any articles. We I, I built the site uh, myself. We did a lot of the data entry ourselves too. So. At the time, there was around 800 coins on CoinMarketCap, and I personally went to every single asset on CoinMarketCap and went to the website. I was really like trying to do a very thorough deep dive into what are these 800 different assets? Are they legit? Like, is is the website even up still? Like, what, what's happening? So yeah. we did a lot of very kind of just early initial research, and then. Um, once we launched the site, which would have been in December of 2017, within about a month, we organically had about 150,000 unique users coming to the website. Wow. So, so and that was really the prime time, as we know, too. December you know, yeah. 2017 and January 2018 were where we really had those blow-off-the-top moments, and the retail mania was at its craziest. So <laughs> the timing was perfect. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, bear market. 
kicked in. Yep, timing was not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> getting, I think, getting timing timing right in crypto is 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 as difficult as in you know as 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 in any other sector, isn't it? Because you know it it, it can change so quickly, and mm-hmm. and that and that moment in kind of 2018 when it just sort of fell off a cliff. So, I mean, that must have been that must have been tough because uh, presumably you know you, you saw you saw you know hits to the site decline as as kind of especially retail interest fell off. Mm-hmm. So how was that? Yeah, I mean, that must have been a sort of, uh, you know, a couple of years at least of, of sort of very hard work with not quite as, as the returns that you were perhaps used to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it really, I would say, wasn't until maybe like September, October of 2018 that we realized we're definitely not, we don't have a bull market coming around the corner like we thought for, for basically the first, you know, uh, nine months of the year of uh, after the blow off the top, everyone thought, oh, a bull market's right around the corner again. Mm-hmm. People like Novigratz were making predictions that Bitcoin would hit, you know, 20, 30, 50K again that year. There was lots of, you know, bullish but bullshit predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of them are seem to be. Very fine line <laughs> between the two. No one really knows exactly what's going on with it. And it's, yeah, uh, yeah everyone just pulls a figure out of their ass and, and, and it's sort of, it's the same with the FUD. It just it seems to be regurgitated every Every cycle, yeah, the same articles, the same, just different times. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that really is why sites like Crypto Slate are so important, really, because everyone's sort of clamoring for a prediction. Oh, you know, where are we going to be next month? How when's Bitcoin going to get to to six figures or something like that? And the short answer is that no one knows. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows because we we just we can't predict the future. I mean, we can look at our we can look at the charts. We can look at the news coming out of places like the Federal Reserve, and we can make educated guesses. Mm-hmm. But you know, there seem to be, especially in the in that kind of mania of of 2017, like people just wanted to people just wanted the crystal ball sort mm-hmm. of treatment. But I guess you know the important thing is just to. To get that, to get the information that's out there and and present it in a way that you know someone who doesn't want to go digging across half the internet to find it, mm-hmm. that they you know they have access to that and they and can make their own draw their own conclusions from what they read. Yeah, absolutely. That twenty eighteen to twenty twenty time period was was tough in the sense that. We knew the market would come back eventually. We just didn't know when, but we had to, you know, run as lean as possible. Unlike a handful of other uh, crypto media that started during the time, like the Block and Decrypt, Crypto Briefing, uh, the Block and Crypto Briefing both raised venture capital at the time, mm-hmm. and Decrypt was a sp- spin out of Consensus. So they kind of had we we raised a very small round when we first started from friends and family, but for us to continue during that time and run as a business uh, was tough, but what we emerged into with the recent bull market and how strong we are now, it's all been worth it in terms Mm -hmm. of the, you know, it was a struggle entrepreneurially, but now, especially over the past year and a half now, things have been incredibly strong. So that's one piece of advice I'd have for anyone that is in in this bear market is think about what you can do during this time to to pass the time, not just, you know, focus on short-term price movements or trying to trying to figure out what the next prediction is that might come true, but to build something that gives oneself uh, a sense of purpose or value during what is, you know, uh, 
unknown period of uncertainty for the industry. Yeah, it, and and yeah, I mean, it really is unknown, isn't it? We again, the predictions are kind of flying around. Oh, it'll be, you know, it'll be over by the end of the year. Oh, it could be another couple of years at least. Yeah, and and I mean, I guess yeah, this is a message that we've been we've been talking about w- with a few people. You know, it's to try and try and see this bear market as an opportunity, mm-hmm. which is what it is. You know, an opportunity to build, and that I, you know, that sounds to me like is what you were able to do in kind of 2018, 2019. Very much kind of heads down, filter out. I mean, I mean, there wasn't really any hype to filter out, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just concentrate on on making this thing as as good as you can make it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of parallels between sort of a bear market and like a recession, you know, like where you, if you if your business can be be lean and, and, and make it through a recession uh, and then come out the other side, you're going to be set up well. And it sounds quite similar to how, you know, you, you, you had like the boom period around that Christmas and then. Uh, the bum fell out of the market, and uh, and but you were able to sort of carry on, I suppose, because you were probably quite quite new, quite small, quite agile, mm-hmm. uh, and then and grow uh, grow when it's lean, and then and really sort of explode when it's when it's uh, rich. Yeah, absolutely. It was it, it was challenging, but now when I look back at it, I'm so glad that we went through it because we, as we were talking about, you know, earlier when starting a podcast, it's like you don't really know the mistakes you're going to make until you make them and you have to kind of learn along the way. And the same is true for a media business, for having, you know, people that are that we're responsible for or are or responsible for producing content for CryptoSlate all over the world and, and wanting them to do well. And, um, you know, it, it was it was definitely, it was tricky, but it was so rewarding to really be in the last bull market that we are. And now, you know, having experienced a few different uh, bull and bear cycles, I know it's just a matter of time before the cycle turns, whether it's 2025 or 2024. Who knows? Yeah, there's nothing like there's nothing like bitter experience, is there? It's like, and it's just it, it's reassuring to to think. Well, we've been there before, you know. Okay, this may be this may be bad. We, we may have had some unexpected and nasty surprises this time round, but we have we have be covered this ground before, and I think that's that's really important for for people new to crypto. Who this, you know, I think many of them this will be their first their first bear market their first sort of really testing testing time absolutely yeah so tell me nate so what's your what's your role at crypto slate day to day now so right now uh, i'm managing a few different areas within crypto slate so um, i'm kind of managing the editorial team i'm not really involved in editorial on a day to day basis but um, that's something that's the kind of the the heart for what CryptoSlate is. We're an editorial operation that produces news articles every day, um, anywhere from 10 to 20 articles uh, on a daily basis about different topics which our team of journalists find interesting. So we're, we're constantly on the search for what is an interesting, compelling piece of news that hasn't been told yet, or if it has been told or it has been shared as a piece of news, how can we bring a differentiated angle to it? So, so that's kind of one aspect is the editorial. I also um, am a programmer uh, by, for the past, uh, gosh, since I was 11 years old, basically. Wow. So yeah, I've been building lots of different websites over the years. Um, only been working on crypto slate now. This has been the longest business and longest kind of code base that I've been operating on now for almost five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a little bit of coding here and there. We're, we're also um, in the process of, of fundraising. Uh, I kind of manage the sales team. So it's a lot of different you know, CEO stuff, but as much as I can sprinkle in the programming and the coding side, that's something that I enjoy so much. It's just a there's a dopamine feedback loop uh, about coding, <laughs> and I think in a bull Not market. Not for me. I <laughs> I mean, you know what? Maybe if I if I knew how to bloody code, yeah, uh, I can see how it might be uh, addictive. Yeah, absolutely. So in the same way that you know, 
traders in a, in a bull market experience the dopamine feedback loop of just hitting the buy button and seeing their accounts go up. It's mm. similar yeah. for writing a piece of code and having it execute and oftentimes having it come out better than you envision in your mind. That's, that's a very like, you know, fulfilling thing. Wow. I've, I've got a question. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had no sort of journalistic or editorial experience before setting up CryptoSlate. Yes, that's correct. I did have experience working with other entities setting up blogs. So uh, one of my previous businesses was a, a blog development company back in, this would have been 20, 2007. So we worked with Yahoo and Nike to set up th- some of their first corporate blogs. Okay. But on the editorial and media side, I did have no experience whatsoever. Did you have like a, a, like a, a, a mission statement or something like that with, with how you wanted Crypto Slate to sort of uh, be perceived? Or, and, and how did you go around sourcing that talent to find the right writers if, if you've never written before? <laughs> yeah, so initially the, the mission statement basically boiled down to we wanted to report the news in as honest and transparent a way as possible. So one thing that crypto media um, in the past, I'm not going to name names, but has gotten called out for is, names. <laughs> is not disclosing financial interests. So yeah. one thing that's really important for us is that if a writer holds a, an asset like Bitcoin or Ethereum that they're writing about, they just need to add a little disclaimer at the bottom of the news article that just makes it absolutely clear to the reader that you know there might be a little bit of bias. And mm. people should always be skeptical and do their own diligence about what these different crypto assets are, not ever rely on someone just to tell them what they should buy. Yeah. Because let's face it, there's n- there's nothing wrong with 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 being, you know, with with liking one project over another. But it is important that whoever's reading it knows that, you know, yep. because you know we it's um it's they have to know how objective you know the writer can be. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's really important. I think not just for for the reader, but for uh, the entity that's kind of representing itself as well to. Anytime something there's there's like a paid uh, advertising thing that needs to be clearly disclosed to you. That's the law in the UK and the US, and you know that's uh, unfortunately you know there's still companies that reach out and they ask, can you guys write something uh, that we pay you for, but you don't have an ad on it? And I'm like, that's literally illegal. <laughs> and I point yeah. them, I, I link them to the the laws on the FTC or or uh, link them to me next. Time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take care of. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. Do a little shout I mean, out. yeah, we get we get we get so many inquiries like that all the time. It's like. We, you've what you've presumably watched a video, at least one video on our channel. You know, you you see we don't run out. We see you see we don't do sponsored content. Why are you asking me this? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. There's just there's, there's a lot of it around. So, so how bit? So you you know obviously small beginnings. How big is the team now? Team is around 15 people right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly kind of in Europe. we we have a few in the U.S. We're trying to hire more in the U.S. Um, and then we have a few people in Asia too. So we meet uh, multiple times a week on Slack where, and also on uh, Google Video Chat where we have, you know, 15 different little tiles and, yeah. you know, we're able to, everyone's able to express kind of uh, how they're doing, what they're working on. So we try to maintain as, as, as close of a team uh, environment as possible despite the fact that we're fully remote. Yeah. And I was I, I, I was going to ask you about that actually because I remember you know I've seen on your I've seen on your site for a while now you know you've got a button saying we're hiring and I think this is something we'll we'll circle around to in a bit but I mean obviously one of the big bits of news in crypto at the moment is just how many companies are 
laying people off and mm-hmm. it's i mean it's horrible to see and you know not naming names coinbase but um, <laughs> you know it's um, but you you guys are you guys are still expanding you guys yeah. are hiring yeah so we we managed our treasury really well over the past year and a half uh, thankfully didn't hold any ust or have any exposure to any defi you know products we were just trying to be as conservative as possible knowing that uh, you know the previous bear market like there like it's the possibility for revenue to dry up is very significant um we're, we, we're not at that place yet, but we kind of had that in our mind that that's something that we want to be able to operate as long as possible. Like I, I thoroughly enjoy doing what I do day to day and the opportunities that Crypto Slate has, has given to me, like moving to London from Seattle, for instance. I, mm-hmm. I came here to operate Crypto Slate because London is a much better city to operate in, uh, in fintech and crypto than um, probably any other city in the U.S. except for maybe New York City. So, um, so that's something that had CryptoSite never, you know, started or, or had CryptoSite never started, I would never be here. So I feel very thankful uh, for, the, like I said, the opportunities, and we we want to operate CryptoSite as long as possible. It's it's genu- genuinely a, a fun place to be to kind of have our finger on the pulse of what's happening. I'm sure similar for you as well, being able to you know analyze and look at the industry from so many different perspectives and talk to so many different founders. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, yeah, to sort of keep that and. Again, it, it works really well for us having people kind of all over the world as well, because you know you get those different perspectives and you get you know you you get so many so many different opinions on it. It's much again it, it helps it helps with that objectivity. I think absolutely. And uh, just before so. I want to talk to you, you know, I, I want to have a chat really about sort of everything that's, well, we can't really cover everything that's going on at the moment. But, you know, some of the things that have some of the big stories in crypto over the past couple of weeks. Um, but before we, you know, before we do that, I just wanted to to finish up talking about Crypto Slate in general. I mean, so you obviously, as you pointed out earlier, you guys are you, you're fully independent. You know, you uh-huh. don't have any kind of venture capital backing or anything like that. As you said, you raised a bit from friends and family. So you're you're an independent crypto news organization. And no. But I mean, do you still, I mean, how do you deal, do you get pressure from from projects and companies to, you know, to publish or, or even retract particular stories? I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that we really need to kind of take in con- into consideration on a case by case basis about what is someone is asking of us and is it reasonable? Like if we, if we have an incorrect fact in an article, we obviously want to correct that as soon mm-hmm. as possible. Sometimes a company doesn't like what we've written about them, but as long as it's, as long as there's a source for what we're saying, what we're saying. We're not trying to tell people how to think, tell people what investments, decisions to make. We're just trying to tell original, interesting, compelling stories that are fully fact-checked or fully, uh, we have the sources. Even if the sources are, are off the record, as long as we can verify that this is a legitimate person, that they, you know, give us the information and they provide personal information about them, that's when we'll obviously consider posting something is when we have a, a good idea about who this person is and how reputable they could be. Yeah. And of course, the other the other side of that is uh, the sort of infamous or famous, however you see it, the kind of crypto communities out there. Because again, I, Mike, this is something we've discussed a few mm. times and stuff like one of the great things about crypto is its kind of community feel is how it gets sort of passionate, brings passionate and like minded people together to talk about some of these amazing projects but i kind of feel there's a flip side to that as well and you can you know crypto communities they can be great and they can also be kind of pretty toxic and yeah i guess yeah so i mean do you guys 
do you guys have a sort of ever get kind of pushback from crypto communities as well? Or yeah, is- it's happened a handful of times over the years. Like I, a few years ago, we wrote a story about Digibyte. I forget exactly what the context of it was, but mm-hmm. the Digibyte founder then posted the you know the article to his following and said he didn't like the article for for specific reasons and the community started coming after us um coming after our, our twitter account uh, you know the different journalists and wow. saying saying kind of mean you know stupid stuff and it that just is what it is like you said it's a very these are very tribal communities that mm-hmm. they have they're personally invested in in the outcome of these different crypto uh, assets so they they tend to be irrational oftentimes if they yeah. don't like what they're hearing it's it's such a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, again, it's 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 it kind of depends, I think, on what side of the bed you get out of. You know, you sometimes think this is this is great that people are so engaged with it. This is great that people feel passionately about these projects and want this piece of tech to succeed and want you know recognize that you know we're trying as an industry, it's trying to change the world. And then on other days, you just think, oh my word, just just simmer down. Just yeah. it's, it's, it's just crypto. You know? Yeah, it can be quite insane at times. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break. And then afterwards, yeah, let's, let's dig into some of the things that's been, been going down in the past few days. Sounds great. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts oh hi i'm rachel zoe and i'm back for another season of my podcast climbing in heels you might know me from the rachel zoe project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist and guess what I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to part two. Uh, we are here with Nate Whitehill, the founder of, and CEO of CryptoSlate. Um, so yeah, so we've been we've been talking about how CryptoSlate came into being and its kind of you know its place in the in the crypto ecosystem now. So I thought we'd move on and uh, and talk about just some of the some of the crazy stuff that's been going down over I guess the last. I mean, it feels like a long time. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of backdating everything at the moment to to the terror collapse. Uh-huh. which now feels weirdly like almost ancient history. But yeah. it was only about six weeks ago or something like that. And obviously, it's kind of still rippling out throughout the whole throughout the whole sort of crypto ecosystem. But I mean, looking at these last sort of six weeks, couple of months, is there anything that kind of stands out to you, Nate, as particularly, as particularly surprising? I mean, we've had these kind of really unpleasant shocks. But I mean, is, is there anything that's kind of really grabbed you in that respect? Yeah. I'm definitely surprised by the three arrows downfall because a lot of people in the industry had a really high amount of respect for Suzu and thought that yeah. he wasn't operating as irresponsibly as as they were operating. It's come out. Uh, also, the the talk that he bought a fifty million dollar yacht as well to to impress everyone. Um, there was just so much irresponsibility, so much over leverage. I, I think the kind of myth of C DeFi, centralized DeFi, is it's a le- kind of a myth actually. It's not. It's not something, you know, as we can see with Celsius, um, with 
with BlockFi, unfortunately, uh, Voyager. There's been so many examples of big institutions that have really, you know, used their customer funds irresponsibly. So that's mm. that's very disappointing. Yeah, because so much of what we were talking about, you know, when we when we knew that this uh, this bear market was on the horizon, so much of what we were talking about, well, this time it's going to be different because we've got so much institutional capital here. You know, the, the big boys are playing. You know, it's, it's so it's going to be it's going to be different. And the, the, the kind of really disappointing thing is that, yeah, it is different. But actually, these these big guys have have made it so much worse because the numbers involved are just so high. And yeah, to, to see what's been this kind of drip feed of, of revelations over the past sort of couple of weeks, as you say, concerning three arrows capital and, and Celsius as well. Just this kind of this mismanagement of user funds is, is truly shocking. Yeah, it's something that I I wish kind of in hindsight that the uh, these institutions had been more transparent about how they're actually using customer funds, because that's you know, unfortunately when there is this element of centralization, they can be quite opaque in in terms of how how their businesses actually works. But if you're if you're self custodying your money and you you hold it you know in MetaMask or you're interacting with the DeFi applications yourself, you have a lot more. Uh, kind of transparency about what's really happening. You can look on chain, for instance, but people want something easy and it's easy to send your funds to a centralized, uh, you know, custody yeah. as opposed to hold the hold it yourself and actually then do DeFi yourself. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of the, it, it's kind of CeFi, uh, you know, these platforms like Celsius and others have kind of exploited the fact that DeFi for most people is, 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 is quite daunting, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's not necessarily easy to use. And whereas these guys have been building these platforms, uh, yeah, it couldn't be it couldn't be simpler, you know, give us give us your coins. And of course, you know, th- there's the question of yield as well, you know, offering these, in some cases, insane yields. But I mean, I think what was what was telling with Celsius in particular was, I mean, these weren't kind of Ponzi scheme yields. This wasn't like, you know, 50% a month or anything like that. They were just very, very competitive yields, but they didn't, I, I think perhaps maybe um, bull market euphoria kind of blinded too many of us to to the fact that, yeah, okay, these are competitive yields. They're still quite high, you know. 8% may not sound like much, but it's a heck of a lot when you compare it to what's, you know, to what you can get in mainstream finance. Yeah, I, I think there was just so much wishful thinking that happened when everyone started seeing how many billions of dollars Celsius was raising or BlockFi was raising or some of these these big entities that collected a lot of customer funds. Uh, people people did think, oh, if inflation's this bad, then I should be taking a little bit higher risk by putting putting my capital in something that is you know yielding eight percent instead. And that that's not a sustainable rate, really. That's the that's a rate that they use to incentivize more people to deposit more funds. So there is an element of kind of pawns and economics uh, <laughs> built into the yeah. CDFI aspect as well. And, and and Terra Luna too, that was that was incredibly disappointing because a lot of people, a lot of big entities uh, like Novigratz and uh, Arrington, they put VC money into Terra. They they really had uh, a big bet on, on Doquan and on the Terra Luna ecosystem succeeding. So to see it have the downfall that it did is also just incredibly disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it, even the fact that the you know big guys have lost money, it doesn't make it any easier, does it? Because so much money, so much capital has now been been sucked out of the whole of the whole crypto market, out, out of the whole crypto ecosystem. It's going to be it's going to be very very difficult to you know to get back to where we were before. Yeah, 
There was a, uh, one interesting example I heard about of Pantera who they, they bought into Terra. Uh, I, I think they put in a $1.7 million investment and then it mm-hmm. went 100x and they pulled out right wow. in time. So they turned 1.7 into 170 million, pulled out. The timing was great for them, but for anyone else. game strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And so, I mean, do you think on the topic of, on, on the topic of CFI, on the topic of, because obviously it's, and it, it, I mean, it's very difficult and you'll know this from, you know, you'll, you'll know this from running Crypto Slate and, and having to, you know, verify information. It's so, we're seeing so many rumors flying around, you know, we don't yet know the full story of what happened with, with 3AC. I mean, the, the Celsius story is still very much ongoing. I mean, the last yeah. I, any, any hot tips you can share with the listeners here today? Off record, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, but I mean, yeah, especially with Celsius, you know, we're still kind of hearing that, you know, withdrawals are still suspended. And now there's talk of either bankruptcy or I think Goldman Sachs are now involved um, or, or rumored to be involved. And then, of course, you go on to somewhere like crypto Twitter and you just see, I mean, there are these amazing accounts, aren't there? These amazing kind of anonymous accounts that are, that are you know, um, giving us all this information but it's it's knowing and and obviously seeing other company you know the companies nexo is a good example i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of fud flying around about nexo at the moment obviously because it too is a cfi lender like celsius and you know you have you have these accounts saying one thing and nexo and other companies coming back with another it's so difficult to filter out what you know to, to try and get to the bottom of what could be the truth in all of that yeah, that's what we're really trying to do. We're, we're trying to take these anonymous accounts and try to verify who these people are ourselves, meaning engage in a direct message conversation, figure out if they're real people, if they're legitimate people, what their interests are. And then if they are legit, like with the example of Fat Man Terra, who brought yeah. a lot of the allegations against Terra and Luna over the past few months, um, that's someone that we had a direct message conversation with. And after we did, we felt comfortable publishing some of the tweets uh, that he was sharing about the, the different things happening. And because of that, because we kind of reached out, had this unique conversation, we, we were publishing information about Terra and Luna like five to seven days before Coindesk was yeah. or Cointelegraph. So that's something that we, we try to do. We try to look at who are these anonymous accounts? Can we figure out if they're real people? If they are legitimate real people, then we will consider posting that on CryptoSlate. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so much information and just trying to trying to get to the bottom of what what information you can use and what it's what is genuine. But I mean, some of the stuff coming out coming out of terror through through Fat Man Terror is just extraordinary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Extraordinary. Yeah. Again, this is th- this story has so much further to run. And obviously, I think a lot of the talk now is, you know, what wh- where is Do Kwon? What's going to happen to him? And, and we're still I mean, we still have this relaunched terror, which it's just insane. Yeah, it's crazy that they basically created another, you know, four <laughs> billion dollar network in like a few weeks, and and some of the direct message chats that were coming out uh, between the validators and Do Kwan, they were really rushing this. And we had an article about how it's it's irresponsible to be rushing this relaunch of a multi billion dollar yeah. network when forty billion dollars just basically vanished from the previous network. Yeah. It's like you have priorities. You have to sort out what happened with the previous billion dollar network before you go and launch another one. Absolutely. It's yeah, it's a real sort of only in crypto moment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um and I mean obviously the one of the one of the fallouts from this or one one of the results from everything that we've seen over the past everything that's still going on is that we are going to get regulation 
And, you know, we're seeing it now. There are there are bills kind of starting to sort of work their way through the rather convoluted um, process of, you know, cap- going through Capitol Hill and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we know that regulation is coming. Do you think, I mean, do you think we as a crypto, as an industry, we as a crypto community, do you think the stuff that we can do in advance of that, is there a way that we can kind of start to, to regulate ourselves before, you know, before the, it's done for us? I think by everyone paying the taxes that they owe on crypto capital gains. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hey. I'm taking it too whoa. far now. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that word right. <laughs> the T word. Mike. Yeah. No Mike. taxation without representation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, falling off his chair. It's definitely, it's something that obviously people talk a lot about, but they don't like to talk a lot about at the same time. It's, yeah. it's something that I feel like it's, it's really important because that is, that is showing, uh, at least on an individual basis, that one can be participating in this new, you know, new economy that clearly people at the top are very afraid about, but be doing it in a responsible way. And I, so I think the more money that any government collects from people paying their crypto taxes, the more likely they're to be fair on it, hopefully. They want yeah. to see it succeed as long as... And they want to see it flourish because they can see it as a source of revenue. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, And that also goes for, for losses. So anytime someone buys an asset and it goes down, that, that can be a loss that's written off. So it, it you know in the bear market, there's lots of opportunities if one purchased in the bull market to pay less taxes for, for that year of the bear market. Yeah, yeah. And it ties in, doesn't it? I mean, you know, people, this is stuff that people need to know how to do. I think uh, a lot of people who, who, you know, maybe crypto was their first experience of, of investing or of, or of trading of any sort of asset. And, you know, one of the big things about crypto has always been, you know, that it, it's an opportunity for people to learn about how money works. Okay, this is, this is a, this is a futuristic sort of 21st century money. But, you know, it's, it's important that people realize how there's, you know, how the system works, how, how you go about paying taxes you know it's not just it's not just a case of everyone having it deducted from their pay slip and money that they never see yeah it's it's something that i feel like especially for people that are younger they're more likely to want to invest in crypto assets or hold nfts certainly the the younger generation is kind of ushering in this interest in digital assets they understand it a lot you know more quickly than people of the older generation mm-hmm. so so for them to to use it and to you know, be responsible about it to learn how money works, to learn how the Fed works, to uh, learn how self-custody works. That's something that I think is one of the most important things that anyone listening to this, they should look into how to self-custody their own funds. Yeah. I think if anything is going to come out of the, uh, out of the last few weeks, it, the, 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 the case for self-custody has been made so unequivocally that I think when we look back on this period of time, I think that will be the moment that the penny dropped, the Satoshi dropped for <laughs> a lot of people. It's like, yeah, okay, that's what they meant by not your keys, not your coins. Yeah. That what That's what they meant by don't leave your coins on an exchange because, yeah, this idea, I, you know, so many people are just happy to, to trust these platforms. And, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we, we kind of assumed that they were legit. Because they had so much money. Your yeah. coins are now a $50 million yacht. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And even bringing it back to regulation, what you were saying too, one thing I like uh, is that the UK has started to look like it's going to be more pro-crypto. We There is some talk recently uh, how the, U, the UK is not going to require the same rule as the EU about 
basically KYCing all all unhosted wallets. Yeah. So there's there's some really good things that are happening right now um, in the UK specifically that we don't see the happening in the UK and the uh, EU. I'm sorry. So that that's another kind of reason why I know people hate Brexit, but this actually could be one of the benefits of Brexit potentially. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean the the EU is such a vast machine, isn't it? And 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 some of these crypto regulations that are kind of grinding through the European Parliament at the moment. Yeah, I mean they they they're very concerning for the future of the industry. And it's it's interesting, isn't it, to see countries like the UK and obviously also places like Portugal and Dubai and you know El Salvador. You know, lots of places across the world sort of embrace crypto in in kind of different ways and are trying to trying to figure out how best to you know to take advantage. Yeah, and then people are deciding they're going to go where they're treated best as well. So that that's another you know great thing about crypto is that. Unlike the previous tech boom of the 2000s, this is so much more global. You know, that last one was really concentrated in Silicon Valley and San Francisco. But this, there's innovation happening all around the world now. And there's governments that are taking it seriously and considering rules and regulation that are more favorable towards, towards people that are crypto investors. So, you know, the opportunity to go live in a new land, uh, I think, is it's better than it's ever if you're in crypto right now. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's decentralization in action, isn't it? Because, I mean, I feel we, we talk about what's happening in the US kind of from a regulatory standpoint so much. And obviously, we're all obsessed uh, month to month with what the Fed is doing. And obviously, like it or not, the, the US is very much kind of the epicenter of crypto at the moment. And we want to see the industry thrive there. But actually, we don't want to see the US be the be all and end all. You know, we want it spread out across the globe. We want it to be, you know, something that any country can, I guess, kind of embrace on its own terms. Absolutely. One thing that's been a bit concerning, um, and especially in crypto, but I know this has always been the case, is how much the US kind of tries to act like world police. Mm -hmm. So like Gary Gensler said yesterday that he thinks Bitcoin is a commodity, but no other cryptocurrency. And, you know, previously there had been talk, other people uh, had said that they think Ethereum is too decentralized at this point to, to be a security as well. So, but the fact that the U.S. does dictate kind of how the rest of, the, you know, the world will, will look at these different assets and what categorizations they'll give to them, um, that, that's a bad thing still. We need, we need other bodies around the world, uh, like Switzerland, for example, has, they have multiple different classifications that are not just it's a security or it's not a security. Mm. Yeah. And you, and you want I mean it's it's it must be difficult for these especially kind of smaller countries to to sort of take the lead because the system that we have is so is so geared towards the US. The US is such a powerful player and so much at the heart of the modern system and and no country I mean as we're kind of seeing with with Russia at the moment you know that the consequences if you fall outside of that system or are pushed outside of that system uh, can be can be dire. Uh, so I guess, you know, we really we really want to see countries, I guess, gain the confidence to kind of go their own way. And I think, again, that's something that's really exciting about seeing El Salvador adopting ad adopting Bitcoin and, and also the Central African Republic as well. You know, you kind of hope that these countries will find, you know, common cause through through Bitcoin, through crypto, whatever, it, whatever form it takes. Yeah, I hope they do it for the long term, too, because there's been a few examples now of other countries or jurisdictions try to adopt it, but have really kind of fallen off. The, the two that come to mind that I visited in 2018 were Malta and Gibraltar. 
Oh, yeah. So at one point, you know, Binance was going to set up a shop in Malta. Everyone was going to set up a shop in Malta. And then it just kind of fell off. Um, and to be honest, I don't even really know the reasons why. So if you, if either of you guys. Well, I know Malta, uh, this is, I have no idea why, first of all. So don't listen to anything I say. But I know Malta <laughs> that is, is the, is the, uh, it's where every big uh, betting company Mm. Yep. Is, is resided. Same in Gibraltar, too. Yeah. So, like, I, I know it's just through some friends who were uh, involved in, 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 in YouTube channels and, and they were advertising with, you know, Betball or whatever, uh, and they're all in one building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apart from maybe one, which is somewhere else. But, like, every. So, if you fall out with one, you fall out with all of them wow. because they are all in the same, in the same <laughs> lunching <laughs> cafeteria, yeah. pub, pub, lunch, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if it's, it's some tax reasons or, or something like that, which is a, why I'm assuming they're there. Yeah, I mean G- Gibraltar, I think is is quite sort of subject to to pressure from Britain. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean I'm not I'm not so sure about Malta. I mean I guess you know you you just never know what's going on behind the scenes, do you? I mean yeah. again, it could be that an entity like the US, uh, you know, much more or or the EU. Is sort of it pushes against it and goes, or the IMF. You know, the uh-huh. IMF. We've seen, you know, it's very happy to loan countries like Argentina a whole boatload of money, but then these these loans come with really sort of, you know, really tight restrictions. Yeah, and it even looks like the EU could be putting pressure on Portugal too, because recently it came out that they're going to. They, previously, they were not taxing crypto, yeah. crypt, uh, capital gains, but now they will be, even though. Uh, recently in the legislature, they, they voted against actually starting to tax it again. So it's still kind of to be determined when it is going to be taxed. But it's something that, unfortunately, the EU is probably putting pressure on Portugal for. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the, the the silver lining to that is, I think, the last I read of it, it's, it's yeah, it's likely to get sort of tied up. You know, that, that can sort of get gets kicked down the road yeah. you know, for a long, long time. But yeah, I mean, there's so much there's so much external pressure from, you know, just a handful of very, very powerful entities. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's, you know, we want we want decentralization. We want crypto to to spread across the globe. Exactly. Do you have uh, like a, a timeline in your mind for when you think more countries could start to adopt it? Are we looking like five years down the road or 10 years down the road? Or are, are we kind of at the mercy of countries like El Salvador, seeing how their experiments go? And then... I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so many eyes are on El Salvador to see how it works, to see if it can, you know, if this experiment with with kind of weaning itself off the dollar actually works. And so, so much of what I've uh, read and, and heard kind of since that announcement is that I think across sort of Central and, and Latin America, you know, across Latin America in general, they're, they're kind of primed for it. And, you know, there's so much crypto adoption happening in those countries that it kind of, it, to me, it, it almost feels inevitable. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether this recession that we're almost certainly going to have, you know, or, or perhaps already in, you know, I wonder if um, if that could precipitate it more because you know the the U.S. is going to you know could well could well retreat slightly from that you know from that stage. Um, so I think I, I kind of feel yeah I, I think it will sort of it play out very gradually, but I think it will be kind of fits and starts. So I think yeah I think as we really start to see inflation bite, I mean it, it's 
you know, it, it's 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 so apparent now. But you know, we're we're only really starting to feel the effect, the the actual effects of inflation. And I think as prices rise and people across the world, you know, it costs more and more to fill your car up or to get your shopping or anything like that. I think that that kind of swell, that groundswell of discontent is is only going to grow. And I think that's that's the moment that you know people with you know politicians with ideas can step in and go. There is another way. Yeah, we really need more politicians that understand crypto. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, there are a handful in the United States now that are running for Senate. So we, we, yeah. we do have more educated people that are running that want to push crypto values. So um, hopefully, you know, in the United States, that, that happens and the rest of the world follows. Yeah. And there does seem in the US to be a fair amount of kind of cross-party support for it. I mean, this latest bill that's been put forward by uh, Sen- Senator Lummis is, is a Republican for Wyoming. Is that right? Yep. And then um, Senator Gillibrand is a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget for where. But yeah, you know, this is a cross-party thing. And I mean, uh, America is, seems so polarized on, on most issues. But Absolutely. it seems like there could be some actual bipartisan support for, for something like crypto. Yeah. Well, what's odd to me, too, is that you have uh, a senator like Elizabeth Warren, who you know previously had been very much against the big banks, but she's also very much against crypto. Mm. So I'm, you, know, you would think that if she is against the big banks, she'd understand the benefits of, of crypto and self-custody and and uh, people being able to have access to, to Bitcoin versus hold physical gold. So I, I do find it very odd that some some particular politicians seem to be incredibly against it, like almost religiously so. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's gonna it's you, you kind of feel that with with people like Elizabeth Warren that there is no you know that there will be no kind of Damascene conversion. You know that's mm-hmm. that's the way she'll always feel. But I mean, this is how democracies work, isn't it? The politicians who have views that are out of kilter with the rest of the population they get they get moved aside. And I think that's something that we're gonna you know that could be really interesting come the midterm elections in in November. You know, it seems like there is, as you say, there is kind of there are uh, pro crypto people going up for for some of these positions, and and there's obviously quite a powerful crypto lobby in the United States as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thankfully there are you know entities now uh, like Coinbase, like obviously SBF and FTX that are really taking that seriously. SBF donated, I believe, four or five million dollars to Joe Biden's campaign. Yeah. Uh, you know, a few years ago, so that was. That's something that, as much as people might hate that, they they still this is how it works. This is how the, the the game is played. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and th- and this is a you know this is someone in, in a position of power who is in who is in our industry, mm-hmm. and that as that I think is a good thing. And um, yeah, I mean, I think we should I, I think we should talk about um, SBF Sam Bankman Fried in a minute or so because he seems to be just all over uh, the crypto news at the moment. But um, before we take another break, I just wanted to ask you quickly. Uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts, Nate, on something that's been. Uh, this is a story uh, that seems to just repeat itself every few weeks. Um, so recently, we saw a hack of Harmony, uh, the Harmony bridge to Ethereum, and I think it was about a hundred million dollars of crypto gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of playing out at the moment. And we we see, as I say, we see this every few months, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. There was the wormhole bridge hack not so long ago. And there seems to be this kind of this this playbook kind of kicks into action. You have this huge hack. It's revealed that, you know, there's a seven figure number or or a nine figure number has, has disappeared. And 
obviously everyone can then you know it, it doesn't take long to locate where that crypto is it's sitting in a it's sitting in a wallet the hackers can't possibly do anything with it because there's just so much money and then as is as is the case with harmony the harmony team have offered the the hacker 1 million dollars as a sort of uh, as a as a payoff basically it's like we'll give you a million dollars and I, it was interesting the way they worded it i think they said they didn't say there will be no charges but they would i think they said they wouldn't advocate for charges or anything like that so i mean my question to you nate is how do you do do you think this is a healthy thing obviously these hacks are not something that we want to see but how do you feel about this 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 sort of business of kind of trying to pay off these hackers yeah i'm not sure what else they can do other than try to have the the wallet addresses blocked by exchanges mm. um which is hard to do once you start you know using mixing wallets to you know move the funds around yeah but i mean ultimately because the fiat off ramp exists on the centralized exchanges uh, it is up to the centralized exchanges to make sure that the money coming into them is not from you know criminal activity but i, I it does make sense i think 1 million dollar on a 100 million dollar hack is way too low that i think and already the funds have started moving today so, yeah. So yeah, they need to they need to increase that, you know, to I don't know, ten million, but who knows what the the hacker I mean, he could be some guy sitting in his parents' basement, you know, in pajamas. So yeah. it's hard it's hard to say, but it kind of seems inevitable. It's like they're they're gonna try to to get the funds back. Um and I think white hat this is one reason why I'm a big fan of white hat hackers, because they are trying to identify uh, you know, exploits or vulnerabilities, but do it in an ethical way, and then receive some some benefit from the the company that they're they're hacking. Yeah, I think there's. I, I mean, I'm fully in favor of uh, of these sort of bug bounties and things like that. You know, that's that that that's a great way to get you know to get your code kind of unofficially audited. I guess. Mm-hmm. I just I can't shake the I can't shake the idea that you know a hacker because because. I guess it's like I think we want to not negotiate with terrorists. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> I kind of feel that in a way that 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 should be a consideration because I think we, I've used this analogy with you, Mike, before. It's like when when one of these hacks happen, it's like someone it's like someone breaking into a bank and stealing kind of more cash than they can actually carry. Mm-hmm. And then the payoff is it's like, well, okay, if you give this cash back, that you you can't really do anything with because there's so much of it. And, you know, it's so difficult to, to, to hide that amount of money on chain. But we'll give you, you know, we'll give you a nice, you know, a nice fat wad of fat wad of cash for your trouble. I don't know. I, I kind of feel it, it may it may kind of make the situation worse because the hackers have almost got nothing to lose. Yeah, I think. I mean, really the honorable thing for the hacker to do, and I know it's hard to talk about honor when it comes to a hacker, but the, the hackers should be should be trying to do be something. Be ashamed of themselves. Eth- That's where they should be. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the hacker dunce hat or something. Yeah. But what, what we really need is people to just have honor and recognize that if they're that intelligent to hack uh, a protocol, that they should be doing it, you know, in a white hat way, so they don't have to hide the funds. They're they're doing it, and you know, if they if they negotiate, like different protocols are willing to pay huge amounts of money. Some are like ten million dollars for a bug bounty. Yeah. So for anyone that's smart enough to you know to solve that or to do that, they should go do that because then they can legally keep those funds, as opposed to have to worry for the rest of their life how do they, you know, unload hundred million dollars. How do we coin. digitally launder this crypto? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It is extraordinary, and I mean, there are there there are sort of ways to do it, but it just it feels like yeah, it, it's 
it's such an odd thing to sort of see, be able to look on chain and see this money sitting there, and then you kind of got this Mexican standoff. It's I think like, you, well, you kind of you need to think about their mindset, and like there are obviously someone who's probably quite competitive, and they've got like this, you know, I mean, they 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 they're playing a game, mm. and sort of going, okay, here's here it's all back, give me a little bit, or doing it legally is kind of. I, haven't you watched The Matrix or any Hacker movie? <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe it's not about It's a really hot movie. woman with a slick back hair tapping away at a computer. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't take no for an answer. Leather trench coat. Yeah, exactly. She goes and does a bit of free running in her spare time. Yeah. Yeah. Martial arts expert as well. Yeah. Well, that's what we'd like to think. Um, on that note, let's take let's take another break, and then when we come back, wow, there's still so much to talk about, Nate. I don't want to take up your your entire evening. But no worries. Yeah, let's take uh, let's take another break, and we'll be back with you in a moment or so. Sounds great. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to part three. Uh, we are here still with uh, still. Nate. <laughs> we haven't still, gone anywhere. We haven't gone anywhere, no. Um, so, uh, Nate, one, one another thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, you know, we've seen we're, we're, we're kind of deep into this bear market now. Do you think there's, there's anything, you know, crypto specific? Is there anything that we as a crypto industry can do to kind of pull ourselves out of this? Or are, are we very much at the mercy of kind of external factors? Yeah, I think... For an individual, as as long as they believe in this asset class over five to ten years, I would say dollar cost average. Set up an automatic withdrawal, you know, on a reputable exchange like Coinbase, and just have you know ten dollars a week come out or something like that. Um, dollar cost averaging is one of the best possible ways to get exposure to uh, crypto asset. For which I think there's really only maybe a few that are worth accumulating over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than Bitcoin and Ethereum, everything else, like who knows. It's kind of how I look at it. You know, it's totally possible they'll see greater gains, but it, oftentimes it's not worth the risk over a multi-year period to hold some anything else other than Bitcoin and Ethereum. So yeah. I think that's kind of the first thing I would say is uh, not financial advice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly, not financial advice. But that and and yes, yeah, self custody. I feel like is the most important thing for anyone who's getting into crypto to really take too seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it's very. It seems to be very much like we. The, the lesson that we, we in the in in the space have to learn is just. It, it seems to be one of restraint at mm-hmm. times like this. You know, we went crazy during the bull market, and you know, money got thrown around. I remember speaking to people, some people after um, Bitcoin Miami this year, and like a couple of people mentioned afterwards. You know, when we were kind of deconstructing it. Um, they both sort of said independently of each other. They were like, it was amazing. It was amazing to see all these things going on. But they just said, this this craziness cannot last. Mm-hmm. And they both cited the, the kind of dot-com 
bubble as 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 an example. And I think, I mean, I don't think we're, you know, I don't think we're facing that kind of implosion. But I, I, I think there is definitely going, to, there is definitely a sense that, you know, we we have had it so good for the past couple of years, mm-hmm. and now it's about, now kind of restraint is is very much the the order of the day. Absolutely, I, I feel like another thing that's interesting about this previous bull market is that it didn't have the same sort of blow off the top that the previous bull markets did. We actually first peaked in May of 2021 and then again Mm. in November 2021. So the chart patterns look a lot different than, you know, people were saying that until we have a a true blow off the top that the market hasn't reached, uh, you know, the top for this period. But now I think we can say this kind of double top that we had, that certainly was the top of that market. And it's a different pattern. And another thing that's happened too, again, is that Bitcoin and Ethereum have gone below uh, the previous all-time high of the previous market. That's another thing that people said it's not going to happen, but it does happen. So I, I think there really are like no, there are no certainties in crypto, like anything is possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're very much in uncharted territory, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, as we've, as, as we've said before, Mike, it's like we're, we're in such a we're in such a, an unprecedented situation now for crypto. You know, the the first kind of recession that crypto is going to have existed in, the first high rates environment that that, that crypto is going to have seen, and obviously all these extraordinary external factors. I mean, you know, just since the start of the year, obviously with the the invasion of Ukraine and things like that, you know, the world just seems to have gotten so much crazier. Mm-hmm. Just over the, I mean, it was crazy enough to begin with. But we seem to be facing this this really, really sort of strange and kind of troubling macro outlook. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I, for me, I kind of get a bit of solace from that when when you when you look at it from a, a from a crypto perspective, because it's not this isn't a case of our industry has exp- imploded, our industry has has run its course and and has you know has been a bubble. It's no, we're we're in a we're in an extraordinary situation, and our industry has, along with every other industry, to try and find you know a way a way out of it. Yeah, some of the best products have come out of bear markets too. Like Ave, for example, was built in the last bear market. This is really the time for building. This is why I'm kind of just you know enjoying it as I was six months ago because I know we're just going to keep building. We're here for the long term. Um, it's a lot quieter to build in a bear market than in a bull market. There's to harp on about the recession thing again, but exactly the same thing with Uber and Airbnb were were, were products of the last recession, and you know, uh, and they've gone into, I mean, to become Goliaths. Yeah, um, yeah. So no, it's innovation, true. I, I innovation in, in 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 the in the lean times is is. Uh, is yeah, you have to. I, I guess perhaps it's a measure of if you're building something robust if you can if you can build something during the most difficult of times when there really isn't that much you know spare cash flying around there isn't that much interest if you can get it off the ground then then that's the sort of early sign that you you could well have a success on your hands absolutely i think the question really is like how low do we go and that's one question i would ask both of you guys like without making you know financial advice predictions or anything <laughs> like how low do you think we're going to go in this bear cycle uh, what with Bitcoin? Oh yeah, with Bitcoin. I have absolutely no idea. I th- we, we we were uh, talking uh, the other day. We were sixteen point five was what some people were 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 saying potentially off air. 
Or did we say it on air? I can't remember. <laughs> I think we might have said it on air. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so many, a lot of predictions have just been sort of. I love revised. it went to me first. It'll never go to me first. Go to, <laughs> go to Guy first, and I will well, give a. a so I'll, 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 I'll prices right it and then go slightly below. I think it I think it makes just as much sense to go to you Mike because you know we we you know we are making we are making predictions this is something well, look, we, just, I mean, we discussed earlier isn't it it's it's it, so hard to it's so it's impossible to know. What did it did it drop to 3 or 5 in in 2018? I can't remember because yeah, I was dealing was, in pounds. Yeah. Uh, mm. so I can't remember what what It went down to as low as like 3200 in Yeah, in uh, dollars. Yeah, yeah, in, in dollars that would have been like November 2018. If I remember rightly, I think the drop from the high in November was it November Jan, uh, December, November December. 2017 to the to the, the, the subsequent low whenever it was in 2018 was I think 90%. It was either yep. 80 or 90%. Mm-hmm. And we haven't fallen that far yet, which means I think we we could go we could go as low as sort of the 10 to 14k range, yep. I think. And I mean, if you'd asked me this a few months ago, that would have uh, that would have been impossible to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember so many of, we were all kind of talking, you know, first of all, it was like, well, I, I, it's difficult to see it dropping below 40K. OK, it's difficult to see. It. <laughs> and yeah. then everyone was kind of looking at 20K as the top of the previous bull market. And as you as you said, Nate, you know, we, we'd never had this situation. Did it, did it where go down to 17? Recently? Yeah, it dipped, it dipped into the 17K range. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I think I, I think we could go as as low as that. And I mean, I think there are there's a lot of money I think waiting on the sidelines to to pile in at that. So I, I you know I think you know Bitcoin can 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 find support there. Um, but yeah, again, it's it's going back to all the factors that we've that, that we've been talked about that we're talking about. I, I I think we're just in such a you know such. So when a are you buying situation. in again? <laughs> I think. Uh, 15k would potentially be very attractive. Um, I would say the lower it goes, I'll keep buying just because I believe in the long. Yeah, yeah. And and are you buying just Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum? B- Bitcoin, Ethereum, a few other little coins here and there that I believe in. Like I'm wearing a Cosmos T-shirt. Today. Oh yeah, I noticed that. So yeah, I like the Cosmos ecosystem quite a bit. I think it's another interesting one. What is I I, I don't know anything about Cosmos. What's the application? What is it? So mean? Cosmos is uh, basically a layer zero. So not not a layer one. Uh, layer one would be like Ethereum, but yeah. a layer zero allows many other blockchains to operate on top of it. Oh, is, it, is this the one that we were talking about, the thread between? The ones? interoperability yeah. protocol, yeah. It, we've sort of, I think we've maybe mentioned it in the context of something like Polkadot as well, yeah. which is kind of a, you know, similar, similar yeah, sort of project. Exactly. So today they announced that chains will be able to share uh, what they call interchain security. So a new chain can launch and share the, the security of uh, its parent chain as opposed to you know, try to get a bunch of validators to spin up and be processing all the transactions on the network. Okay. So, so it, it takes the the trickiness out of the decentralization of it. Yeah, yeah. There's some interesting things about it. I also like that it's very much uh, like a community kind of oriented chain. So, you know, some chains it's a heavy amount of venture capital investing, um, for which oftentimes venture capitalists don't have the strongest hands. But the communities that are participating or building, they hold the majority of the token supply. The Oftentimes, the tokens can do much better because it's people that are building who believe in it, yeah. as opposed to just trying to see financial return from it. Yeah, I think I, I think Cosmos is is a project that's particularly popular amongst you know amongst the kind of tech uh, the more technically minded people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Vitalik at one point said that if he were to redesign Ethereum from scratch, he would do it in a similar 
way to the uh, where can I buy the cosmos <laughs> <laughs> well there you are folks not uh, not, not financial, financial advice <laughs> but, but good alpha <laughs> but, nonetheless but it sounds quite a lot <laughs> <laughs> like, um, <laughs> we'll um, so we'll, we'll 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 start wrapping up in a minute but um, one other thing I wanted to, to to sound you out about Nate was um, we talked earlier about how you know crypto uh, Bitcoin I should say Bitcoin came about in in the midst in the in the wake of the failure of the banking system and all these banks being bailed out by well, well by us really by by taxpayers mm-hmm. and now we have a, a situation in crypto where we have these big institutions failing the like you know the 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 our equivalent of banks if you like uh, the likes of three arrows capital and celsius etc cetera, etc cetera. So, and we've talked about, we've mentioned SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, who, um, for for those who don't know, is the CEO of the FTX crypto exchange. He's also the founder of Alameda Research, which is a massive crypto investment and trading company. Uh, And uh, SBF is in the news a lot at the moment because he is, you know, he's being cited as, 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 possibly a kind of, I guess, like a white knight Mm -hmm. to come in and rescue some of these companies and bail them out. So, Nate, I mean, how do you feel about that, Nate? Do you you think that these companies should be rescued? Is there a case for it? Or or should we kind of, should we let them fail? Letting them fail would put customer deposits at risk. And that, I would think, is the worst possible thing. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't want to scare more retail off from using crypto or investing in crypto. So I don't like the idea of them failing for that reason. I do like the idea of kind of technological evolution, like getting rid of the shit projects and, you know, putting the the good projects at the top. But obviously, you know, there is that whole question of wanting to make sure that customers, oftentimes when they have their life savings, unfortunately, at mm. some of these on some of these protocols, them losing all their money is just bad for everyone. So if SBF is willing to be a white knight. I'm fully in support of that. Yeah, yeah, and I guess perhaps there's a perhaps there's a middle way. Perhaps there's a kind of middle ground whereby the you know someone like SBF can come in, get the provide the liquidity, provide the you know provide the funds, and th- the first thing that happens is that the users get their money back. You know the people who have been who have been on the receiving end of this, and that you know in the case of especially Celsius, you know that is retail. They if if they are prioritized, and then you know what's left of the of the company or the entity after that, you know either it's kind of dismantled or asset stripped or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's just so important that you know w- that we at least learn the lessons from it. I guess absolutely. The, the one thing I I do find a little bit concerning is you know we were talking about decentralization and how important that is, and I think that's also true for the ownership of some of these companies right now. SBF has acquired a stake in a pretty significant stake in Voyager, yeah. in Robinhood. Um, there's uh, potentially in BlockFi too. So that that's a little bit scary to think about. There is one person who has so you know, much control over so many major entities. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's it's an odd situation, isn't it? Because I mean, I guess at times like this, you know, some people some people lose everything. You know, it's it's a catastrophe for some, but it's an opportunity for others. And mm. you know, you get this kind of redistribution of wealth and yeah i mean if that becomes more centralized that 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 can't be a good thing in the long run yeah i I agree and this is another reason why self-custody is just so important like people should just think about what are the benefits of holding an asset over a few years as opposed to trying to eke out every little you know bit of interest from holding it on a centralized party which could in these times is clearly shown 
completely fail or go down or you know they can't access their fund and get funds again. So that's one piece of advice I would impart to anyone who's new to crypto is don't be too greedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, it's, I mean, it's, it is easier said than done, but I mean, it's how many times do you... Sorry, just, uh, just uh, uh, how I got into crypto. <laughs> just, Mike is motivated purely by, 100% by greed. Funny, man. He's, not in it. He's not in it for the tech. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's so true. And ha- but how many you know how many times do we have to do we have to learn that lesson the hard way? But I guess you know we we we, re- we re- rebuild and we come back stronger. And yeah, I think it's I think it's really important if we can you know if everyone who holds crypto, if you hold a bit of Bitcoin, maybe you should think of yourself as as a node on the network. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of yourself as part of the big. The, the wider picture of decentralization and that, you know, you're in charge of it. this is it's not just your money that you're taking custody of, but you're also kind of responsible for the network itself, for the survival of the network itself. Yeah, it's a much better way to participate in, in these different uh, crypto assets than holding on an exchange. Like, I really like the quote, you know, not your keys, not your coins. Yeah. So I think people should be tattooing that in their mind. <laughs> tattooing it backward on their yeah. foreheads so they see it every time they look in the mirror okay well Nate this, this has been great and you know there's so much I mean there's so much more we can talk we didn't even we didn't even get to the bored ape Nazi club or, or anything like that there's well, just uh, but look, quickly uh-huh. is, they're not really Nazis are they? they claim they're not um, okay to be honest I don't know <laughs> I don't know I don't know I saw this like uh, on, on Twitter uh-huh. and I, I sort of I just, I just, I, my instant thought was, uh, as we were saying, how, you know, how crypto seems to be quite bipartisan. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. could be something to fuddy up the thing and, and go, okay, cool, this, it, putting it on sides and stuff like that. Because I've never seen anything like that. But then again, I only saw a tweet and I had no, I didn't look any further than that and just made my own assumption. So I'm interested to hear what, what, what someone who knows what they're talking about. Uh, (laughs) Care to share some light on it? Yeah, I'm not too educated on the story. I know that the Bored Ape team does have pretty diverse backgrounds. Like there are, there are Jews, so I guess it is possible to be a Jewish Nazi. Although I'm not not saying that (laughs) this is that case. Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, it's a pretty diverse group. They've defended themselves. They've said, you know, some of the imagery that they created it might be similar to some of what would be considered Nazi imagery. But oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, so like the the. Bull, uh, the skull and crossbones, basically, like that was. But that could also yeah. be pirates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think uh, I think one of the uh, I think one of the things that they they countered with was that because I think yeah there was a lot of controversy over the over the Board Ape Yacht Club logo, mm-hmm. which was shown to look kind of similar to the I think it was the logo of the the SS mm-hmm. the German S the Nazi SS. What's that? The double the the death head the Tottenkopf. Oh, okay. Uh, um, so and, I was going to say that that lightning strikes also on Harry Potter's forehead. Well, I mean that's a whole that's a whole other can of worms. You're in. It's Harry Potter. I, I think yeah, they, yeah. I think well, the Yuga Labs. Some people would say that the the writer. Do not go there. Do not go there. I think um, I think one of the things that Yuga Labs have come back and said it's like well that that is very much inspired by skater imagery. Yeah, you know that that's where that comes from, and I guess it just points to you know these things. Everything is so kind of interlinked now, and it's so again it's what we were talking about earlier. It's you have this information. It's so difficult to know what to believe and what to you know what is what is a credible source and what isn't. Mm -hmm. It's similar. We were talking about this off air with. 4chan turned 
the OK sign into the white power sign. Oh wow! And you know, so like, and you've got you've got President Obama doing the OK sign, and yeah. and like, it's just because it's it's sort of uh, decided on 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 the murky underworlds of of four chan doesn't mean that it's actually true. But then it yeah. gets blown up, and and the the media sort of are are, are, are backing it up just by running the story almost. Yeah. I don't know about you, Nate, but I mean, if this if this saga and and obviously this is still unfolding, you know, this there's there's a lot more to come come from this story, I think. But one thing it taught me was like how little I really know about kind of internet culture. Yeah, it runs so deep. Yeah, there are so many memes to take into consideration. Another, you know, the Pepe the Frog at one point was like very yeah. much a crypto thing, and then uh, apparently the right started attributing it as well, saying it's their mascot. So. Whose meme is whose? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole lot. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and Nate, just before we just before we finish up, um, the last time uh, we had the guys from Crypto Busy in here a couple of weeks ago, and um, we asked them what their kind of coping strategy was for a bear market. You know, what happens when you check your portfolio in the morning? It's red across the board, and you think, oh, how do you? So how do you how do you deal with with a day like that? How do you cope so with stress? I like to just go outside, and uh, I was telling you about the one wheel earlier, which is kind of like a oh, yeah. futuristic hoverboard slash skateboard, which is just super fun. And I'm not thinking about crypto. I'm thinking about how do I not break my arm? <laughs> <laughs> how do I stay on this thing? Yeah. So, I, so the way that you cope with it is putting yourself in, in extreme danger. Yeah. I'm mm. either in financial danger or physical danger. <laughs> I'm choosing which one each day. So. I think I'll so. go for a bit of physical danger this morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Diversify your risk. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, there you are, people. Yeah, if the uh, if the crypto markets are getting you down, if there's too much red in your portfolio, get out on a get out on a one wheel. Put yourself in some maybe genuine... try drinking before doing it. You know, <laughs> don't listen to Mike. Put yourself in some physical jeopardy, and uh, yeah, watch those crypto related troubles melt away. Mm-hmm. Nate, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been great to talk to you. I, I mean, we could have gone on for yeah. hours and hours and hours. So I hope you'll I hope you'll join us again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, yes, Crypto Slate is the site. Uh, check it out, folks. It is a wonderful resource for all things crypto. And I hope you can join us again next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Coin Bureau podcast. If you'd like to learn more about cryptocurrency, you can visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Coin Bureau. You can also go to coinbureau.com for loads more information about all things crypto. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Coin Bureau, all one word. And I'm also active on TikTok and Instagram as well. Uh, first of all, uh, it's not thank you for listening. You're welcome for great content. Yeah? Like, this is free. And they're learning about a fairly great topic in a non-boring way. If you'd like to visit me and hear more about me, go to Moochabout, M-O-O-C-H-A-B-O-U-T, or else. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Coin Bureau Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio.
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is... To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.